Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by From Within Records. July 24th, One Scene Unity Comp Volume 2 is dropping, a hardcore compilation featuring exclusive tracks from Cruelty, Moment of Truth, Payback, Invoke, Mind Force, Pain of Truth, Point of Contact, Year of the Knife, Dead Heat, Final Right, Scourge, Struck Nerve, Raw Brigade, Burning Strong, Striker, Outnumbered, and Almighty Watching. I'm so stoked that we're here in the month of July. It's coming out soon, and it's going to be super awesome. So please, if you're not following From Within Records on social media, go boot up your Instagram, your Twitter, and quick, excuse me, and click that follow button to stay up to date on all the current news. Uh, more recently, there was some extra copies available of Warren's Human Work LP, which had sold out and i knew a lot of people had wanted to get it, their hands on that first press so a shout out to everybody who was following from within records and were able to see those posts on social media and pick up those extra copies so stop lacking and do yourself a favor and go follow them also there's a new band that dropped their demo on from within records off the tracks uh, featuring some some awesome people in the band so if you're not familiar go boot up uh, your band camp and go check that band out that demo is super awesome so support them and like i always say please support from within records because they support us and on today's episode we had to track down marty williams sings for a band called struck nerve who i'm a big fan of and i was so happy when i reached out to marty that he was down to do the podcast and i'd been a fan of his for a long time been listening to his older band agitator i was super excited to be able to catch them at sound and fury back in 2011 which is crazy to think 2011 it's literally 2021 right now and i can remember that weekend like it was yesterday we're you know fresh off the backtrack motorcycle incident from the previous year that's all everybody talked about leading up to that San and fury in 2011 and it was cool to finally be able to get back and have the fest run smooth have all the bands play it was it was awesome and then being able to catch agitator at aladdin jr social uh, chameleon I, I i just can't get over that song but it, it was a, a pleasure for me to be able to sit down with marty and just pick his brain. He's, he's a great dude. I, I love what he's doing for hardcore. I, I think he's interesting. So if you're not familiar with Struck Nerve, I highly suggest you hit pause, go boot up your Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music title, and go check out their latest record, Rattle the Cage. It's super awesome. Has some great guest spots on it. And go listen to that. Come back here and listen to the conversation that i have with marty because it, it was really fun for me and i hope all of you enjoy it so please strap in and enjoy this conversation so without further ado welcome marty williams to the show
right, we're live. Welcome to the podcast, Marty. How's it going? Good. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Dude, this is super awesome. And th this this may sound strange, but I've been a fan of yours uh, since uh, back in the agitator days. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to catch you guys at uh, Sound and Fury uh, 2011. And then you guys came back and played uh, Aladdin Jr. Uh, with uh, Wrong Answer, I think it was, if I remember correctly. So I was able to catch yeah, you guys yeah. twice. Pretty much every tour we did was with Wrong Answer. So it's pretty pretty safe bet. Uh, and I think, I, I can't remember who else played. I think it, I might be getting the name wrong, but it was, is One Win Choice a straight edge band from California? Uh, the there was a, a professional skateboarder uh, played in the band and he let us stay at his house. He was really nice to us. I can't remember. There was one choice, like one X choice. That, that's the only one that kind of rings a bell. But I'm not sure who's I in that band. But, um, yeah, Latin Juniors is awesome. It's a shame that it doesn't do shows anymore. Yeah, uh, pretty strange. I'm not sure exactly why, because obviously I, I'm not like really booking shows, so I, I don't really know that side of things. But I know like the last time there was anything going on like the last year i can remember it was uh it was like a pop punk band a seasons change and uh, a, a couple hardcore bands and after that it, it just kind of vanished so i'm not really sure what's going on over there okay interesting yeah but but yeah so seriously i'm you know listening to agitator back in the day fast forward to now i, I never thought we would be in this position so i'm just super stoked to have you on the podcast sweet yeah well, thanks for having me Okay, uh, but before we get into um, your your current band, I'm, I'm just kind of curious for people who uh, may not be familiar with you, can we uh, kind of start at the beginning and how you got into hardcore? Sure. So uh, at least for me, it's kind of goofy, but I kind of trace it back to hearing Sum 41 on the radio when I was like 14 years old. So I never had heard punk music or anything like that. So like that's super accessible I mean, I guess they're kind of like a pop punk band, but they are sort of a punk band. And through them, I got into like Blink-182 and found out about Warped Tour and things like that and got into Bad Religion and No Effects and kind of spiraled my way into, this, I guess, more and more underground music. And uh, and then I went to Warped Tour, I think it was 2000, I want to say it was 2005. And uh, I was just waiting to see Taking Back Sunday and the casualties were playing. And it was like, blew my mind. It was like the craziest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And uh, so then I started to get a little more into like street punk a little bit because there was a, a kid in my high school who went by Unky Nick, who was like really into the addicts and some other things. But then uh, like I, I came like kind of dangerously close to becoming just like a street punk kid, I guess. But then somehow made a sharp left turn into like senses fail and uh an under oath type bands and uh and there's this kid at my high school who saw me wearing shirts of those bands and stuff and it, like invited me to go to shows that his his uh his church did like it was like a venue like, in the side so i didn't even know that local music really existed so i would go to shows there and uh and then eventually, Andrew Cordingly, who I believe has been on your podcast a few times, he uh, he was in a band in my high school, and the guitar player came up and was just like, "Yay, hey, I heard you play bass. Do you want to be in our band?" <laughs> and like I had never even heard hardcore music at this point. And it was good. It was pretty much a metalcore band, 
But um, that was my first real experience of playing in bands was with uh, Andrew and then Doug, who also played drums, who's the original drummer of Agitator. And, uh, and then through playing these metalcore shows and kind of pseudo hardcore shows out in Reading, Pennsylvania is how I really got exposed to like actual hardcore music. And, um, and strangely enough, I think the first hard, actual hardcore band I ever heard was No Justice because Andrew had found the last show video on YouTube. And we thought it was just the craziest thing that we'd ever seen in our lives. And we watched it a whole bunch of times, but I really had no appreciation for what the hell it even was and wouldn't really even really know what No Justice was actually was for like probably five more years after that. But uh, and then through Andrew, he, he found out about like Comeback Kid and Half Heart and things. And then uh, I went to go see the band CDC in Lansdale and Let Down was playing. And, uh, and that was the first time I'd really seen a fast, hardcore band play live. And pretty much after that, like every weekend I was driving out to Doylestown for shows. It was like an hour and 15 minutes, but like there was nothing like that going on around where we're from in Boyertown. There's, I mean, as far as I know, like we were the only hardcore kids in Boyertown. There was like one guy who was maybe like five or six years older than us that none of us really knew that we knew we went to shows in Philly just kind of through MySpace, but we really kind of just stumbled into it on our own. And, and the, the Lansdale and, and Doylestown hardcore scenes really, really made a big impact on us. Like bands like Let Down and War Pigs and Mother of Mercy. And uh, yes, yeah, so going out to Siren Records and in, in the Moose Lodge in Doylestown is really how I just got fully involved in hardcore and knew that it was really something I wanted to be a part of forever. That, that's awesome. That uh, reminds me of like my early days. Just thinking about like you know church shows, I never really thought about how impactful they are just around the country. Because uh, you know I'm obviously uh, where I grew up. There was like some big church that it was insane. It was like a, a super rich church, and they would do shows. Uh, you know, no entry fee. They would still pay all the bands. They just wanted like the youth to have a place to to be safe and to have some entertainment. So, um, you know, just talking to you know people and now talking to you and just hearing so many different stories about uh, people going to church shows in the early days. It, it, it's just like, you know, now hitting me like how impactful like those like settings are. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the most famous hardcore venues in Philadelphia is the church, the Free Unitarian. But uh, this, the, the, the shows I was going to is more like uh, like sort of like Christian rock and like, uh, I don't know, like Tooth and Nail Records and Solid State Records sort of bands were those mm. super early shows that I was going to. And uh, but I, before that, I didn't even know that local music existed or was a thing that people could be involved with. In. So it was a pretty big deal for me to go to those shows. Uh, sometimes I wonder, because uh, like thinking back in like uh, early days, like you know, thinking about like Face Down Records, and I felt like there was more of a a, a present or a presence of Christian hardcore. And I sometimes I wonder, like, am, am I just out of the loop? And are there bands like you know that sounded like those Face Down bands, like No Innocent Victim, Seven Star, 
uh, Symphony in Peril. Like, I, I, I just wonder if there's like Christian bands like that around today, and maybe I'm just yeah, you know, in the dark. Question. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's just so far off my radar at this point, or if it just seems to have gone away for one reason or another. But uh, yeah, you don't really see that as much anymore. Yeah, so I'm I'm real curious if anybody is listening and is uh, you know tapped in with the Christian hardcore scene, I'd be really curious to to check some bands out because um, yeah, it, it, like out here especially in Southern California, the, like um, that label is like you know super prominent and you know Face Down Fest was out here and uh, you know oh is that that label from California? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure they're from Southern California. Uh, okay. Oh yeah, it definitely makes sense. Yeah, because um yeah the, the big fest was out here. I'm just not exactly sure where they're from, but it's just a trip how it just kind of like trickled away um but uh but it's also pretty interesting it's like when i think about it sure so uh did you um end up joining their band playing bass yeah so it was uh i kind of felt really bad because there was this guy who was playing in the band who played guitar and uh they had me come over and just like hang out and uh and they decided they were just going to be kicking this other guy out of the band so I could be in the band. And, uh, but I they never even heard me play bass. And I was, I was terrible at bass mm-hmm. at the time. And <laughs> they kicked the guy out. And then, uh, yeah, we ended up being a band for a couple of years. And my first experience playing shows and we were pretty terrible. But, uh, yeah, Andrew, Andrew sang in the band. And, uh, and I played bass and Doug played drums and we were all, pretty bad at our instruments uh, and then somehow when agitator started Doug just like figured it out and uh, I think he did, his drums were pretty good on our demo and our our first record the two that he was on and uh but yeah in high school we were we weren't very good <laughs> yeah. but I think it's good that like it seems like for at least I'm not sure if it's like this out by you guys but like in California but in Philly the, there really aren't young kids starting terrible bands in high school anymore and sort of stumbling through and figuring it out. Like, it seems like our younger kids aren't even really kids. It's more so like college age people finding hardcore. And I don't know if that's just a general shift seen throughout the country or if it's just a kind of a thing that's local to how things are going here. Oh man. I'm not trying to think of like the younger bands from my area and thinking of like the age range. Um, yeah and i don't know if it's just like the people that i surround myself with or the people that i'm just like tapped in with but yeah i'm not like too close with like a lot of younger people um but i'm i'm, I'm hoping because I, I there are like flyers floating around like um shout out to my friend lemus he plays in a band um out in san diego and he just posted a flyer with uh like a bunch of bands that i've never even heard of so i'm hoping those are filled with like um newer and younger kids uh, you know, who are, you know, taking interest and wanting to be a part of this. So I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. assuming those are, uh, you know, uh, you know, people and like younger kids and just people that I, I don't know, which I think is awesome. Cause if there's these bands popping up and I've never heard of them, I'm just like, hell yeah. Like I need to do some research and figure out who these people are and like what they're about. Um, cause it, I, I always welcome it. And, you know, people want to start new projects. It, it, it's awesome. I, I feel like there's uh, enough to go around. So, um, it, it, it's cool to see. Yeah, it was like 2000, end of 2006, beginning of 2007 is when I really started coming to shows. And mm-hmm. at the time, I, I would have been like 16, 17 years old. And probably there was a lot between Doylestown, Perkesee, Lansdale, and that kind of general area. There's probably like 30 bands of people ages like 16 to 18 
and it just doesn't really feel like it's a thing anymore. But uh, like, when I first coming around, like the old heads were like 18 <laughs> in the suburban hardcore scene. Uh, but then everything sort of, like I guess as everybody got older, everybody moved to the city. And then there was no younger generation of suburban kids that really kept the torch going and, and kept doing shows. So I think that suburban hardcore is really important to the hardcore scene because every time like Bob does a show out in the suburbs, for example, there's all these kids that I see that I've never, I've never seen at shows before. And it's probably because on like a Thursday night or a, something, they can't get their parents to drive them down to the, all the way to Philadelphia to go to a show. And so I think that's something that like the unity barbecue that Bob does, he does it out in, out in the suburbs. And I think that's really cool. Hopefully keep the suburbs alive a little bit. Yeah, I was actually going to mention that. I was going to uh, mention hopefully uh, what he's doing with that Unity Barbecue will, you know, hopefully uh, attract some newer people because obviously um, there's a lot of people who are already established uh, who know about it, who went to the first one. So I'm hoping that with that, which I, I think is a brilliant idea, and I still can't believe that um, nobody or no other scene has really done anything like it because uh, the the first one was uh, two years ago, which is weird to think about at this point yeah. you know um uh but i i just love that idea because it, it it i think what it's promoting is amazing you know just wanting to bring the local scenes together to kind of showcase what's there um and you know what's going on currently so uh you know for people listening um from whatever region or scene you're from uh I, I think people should kind of pay attention and uh, try to follow that similar model to i, I feel like because that just strengthens uh, your local scene right because I'm sure there's I'm sure there's bands that people probably never even checked out, you know, may have seen these names on flyers or, you know, heard people talk about it, but never really just had the time to listen for whatever reason. But to kind of bring that together with that environment, I, I just think it's brilliant. Yeah, the first one was amazing. And I mean, I think it's only going to be better this time around. People have been so starved for hardcore shows that I think I think it's going to be amazing. And I think that it's important to remember that like a band like Jesus piece and a band like fixation, it's all hardcore mm -hmm. and everyone who's coming to these shows all loves hardcore. There's no reason you can't like all of it or, or at least support it, whether or not it's something that you'd want to put on and listen to. It's still part of your scene and part of your community. And I think it, I think the show is a good reminder that like all, all of us hardcore and we're all part of the same community and really i think the first one there was like 300 people there and so like i think it's a reminder that all these little sort of pointless clicks and nonsense where people don't really check out other people's bands i think it's a good reminder that we're all in this together kind of yeah and i i get like you know with all like the the sub genres and all that but it's like yeah like um, at the end of the day we're like it's all under like this one umbrella if, if that makes sense yeah yeah i mean like i love youth crew and i love like heavy metallic hardcore and if i can see them on the same shows together at the same time that's awesome like i don't want to see a, a show necessarily that's all five bands that sound exactly the same I mean, mm -hmm. I think variety is really important. Otherwise, I think you're just going to burn yourself out and it stops being fun. Yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm like, like there was like a cheat code entered where I'm getting to go to this show where I hear um, a nice variety because I'm the type of you know person I, I like all types of like you know hardcore. I'm not just into the the heavy stuff or just the fast stuff. Whatever I like, 
everything. So when I go to a show and it's just like a, a great mixed bill, I'm just like, dude, this is amazing. Like I like every band on here. This is going to be an exhausting night, but it's going to be worth it. But it's true when you go to a show where every band is the same style, sometimes it can get boring or you just kind of take some sets for granted and you don't want to take a break or leave or whatever. So it, it, I think it is better when things are um, you know mixed and there's more of a variety for um, you know, to, to bring more people out and hopefully get other people interested in other genres that they probably don't even know they like. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And yeah. I think that's, I mean, as far as you know, that's kind of Bob's goal is what he's trying to do with, with that show. And I'm really excited, but unfortunately I, I broke my ankle at the Madball show last week. What? And so my plan, my plan was to try to mosh to every single band, all, all, all 19 bands on the show, but uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to. <laughs> Okay, uh, we're getting a little off track. About to ask, okay, you broke your ankle, but didn't you just come back from like rock climbing or something? Yes. So okay. I, uh, I was so this band called Hesitate from around here, and as far as I know, they're the only other hardcore band that's ever said they're from Boyertown in the history of Boyertown besides Agitator. So uh, they had put out a new record that. Like right, I think it was literally the week before the pandemic started, and so they never got to play a show on their, on that record, and so they were playing. And I got really psyched, and I moshed for all about twenty seconds and just rolled the shit out of my ankle, and uh, and then I got X-rays and it was broken, but I already had a climbing trip planned, so I went rock climbing on a broken ankle for four days. Insane. That is that is wild. It's not, it's not broken really like it's not like super fucked but uh -huh. like uh it's, it's called an avulsion fracture where i guess the tendon yanks off a piece of bone so the bone is separated from the rest of my ankle so i need to go to a doctor and get that checked out before i try mosh into a bunch of bands <laughs> yeah that would be uh, great because you don't want to further injure yourself and... yeah i don't want to break it up break it the rest of the way yeah okay uh but jumping back to uh agitator i'm uh, yeah, sure. uh, curious uh, way back when uh how did you decide or how did that band come together sure yeah so uh there was a message board at the time called i think it was just like dodo hardcore for doylestown hardcore okay and uh our guitar player pat i didn't really know him i just knew him as a guy who posted on that message board and at the time he had just moved back from Pottstown, or, or had moved back from Boyertown and was living with his parents in Pottstown. And um, there was uh, the Cro-Mags Christmas show, which I guess would have been 2008, uh, I think. And he was posting on there looking for a ride to the show. And Pottstown is on the way to Philly from Boyertown. So I said, hey, I'll give you a ride. And I just picked him up and drove him down to the show. I'd never met him before. And he was talking about how he had all these riffs written. And I was like, oh, well, I want to sing in Australia's band if you, <laughs> if you want to try to make something work. And uh, and then, like, at the time, Andrew didn't really play bass. Like, I knew he owned an acoustic guitar. So, and, he knew, and I knew he could kind of play it. But... It's not like there was a big selection of straight edge people. And so I was like, hey, Andrew, do you want to try to play bass in a band? 
uh, and he was down to do it. And, and, uh, and then Doug, who was the drummer of our band in high school and one of our, our best friends played drums. And, uh, and I showed up to the first practice literally having no idea what it was going to sound like. Like I, at the time I really wanted to be in like a fast straight edge band and, but he shows up with all these, these heavy riffs. I was like, all right, well, <laughs> this is what the band's going to be. And, um, ended up working out pretty good for us because we got to do all sorts of cool stuff and yeah just because i offered someone a ride to a show yeah <laughs> Turned, uh, a band that would go on for six more years yeah it's crazy with these uh just like weird uh you know interactions if like imagine if you're like oh, maybe i don't want to pick up this random dude from the message board but but i think it's awesome for for you to be able yeah. to just want to help somebody out in hardcore uh, just you know who needed a ride something simple as that uh, you know like not wanting anything in return just you know since it was on the way cool why not somebody wants to go to the show i'm able to help get them there and then somehow th this uh, band um, comes out of it that's pretty awesome yeah and and i i have no idea if this is actually true but pat is a ridiculous enough person that i think it might actually be true is he said at the time he had written all the songs to be really fast like slayer songs and then he saw the Dr. Pepper commercial where Dr. Dre said that slow always produces a hit. So we decided to slow down all of the songs and just turn them into mosh songs. Wow. <laughs> a Dr. Pepper commercial. Uh, and so I don't know. I, I don't know if it's actually true, but he's he stood by it. So I hope that it actually is true. That is really interesting. Uh, just a random commercial change the whole course <laughs> of the band. Uh, I, I'm, I'm for it because I, I am a fan of the band. Uh, I, I am curious. How did you guys link up with uh, Six Feet Under? Because I uh, love that record label. Shout out Dave. Yeah. So I, I think that uh, Bob had had sent him our stuff saying that we were working on a new record and recommended that he put it out. I think he's the one who facilitated that. But mm -hmm. I mean, Six Feet Under is from Philly. And uh, and certainly for me, getting into hardcore, Blacklisted was like the band to me. So like the idea of the bass player Blacklisted putting out our record was like awesome. <laughs> and he, mm -hmm. he put out so many good records leading up to that. That like that was kind of like at the time that was like if I could put out a record on any label, it would have been Six Feet Under. So yeah, I was really excited to be able to do that. Yeah, no, I I was stoked for that. I like that label and happy you guys were able to have that relationship. Um, and uh, I'm just curious. I, I never knew why you guys decided to call it quits, uh, you know, way back when. Are, are you able to talk about that? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, pretty much it was just kind of Pat didn't want to do it anymore. And we had thought about maybe replacing him mm -hmm. and just continuing on, but really I think at the end of the day, it wouldn't have really sounded like agitator anymore. So I think Pat's playing style and the way he writes songs is kind of what made agitator sound like it sounded. And so I don't really think it would have made sense for us to keep on going. And I, I also never really wanted to be the band that just dragged on too long, I guess, and kind of, ended up just being kind of sad and depressing. I'd rather just stop while things were still good. And, and it really didn't make sense for us to be the band without Pat because he really, I mean, he wrote, he wrote everything really. Mm -hmm. I mean, other than the lyrics, he wrote everything. So yeah, he just kind of didn't really want to do it anymore. 
Yeah. Well, I, I guess that is a, a fair call because I, I feel like it, it can be tricky because uh, sometimes when I see a band and they have like a like a drastic lineup change where like one of like the main uh, you know uh, contributors to to the writing process is gone and they just kind of bring in somebody new but still have the same name um, and, and if they can't manage to keep the same sound it's just like wow like wouldn't it have been easier just to start something new but but I know right. it is hard yeah, to at that, at that point. Yeah, if we were if we would have replaced him at that point, it would have made more sense just to to be a new band because mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been the same thing. Even if it was like coming from the same place, I don't think it would have sounded like I don't think it would have sounded like Agitator without Pat. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, like we had actually almost broke up six months into us being a band, so we had put out our demo, and then Pat had quit, and we tried replacing him back then too but then we just kind of gave up and uh and then kind of out of nowhere one day he just hits me up like yo when i'm practicing i'm like what are you what are you talking about we're not we're not a band like, we played like kind of a last show sort of thing like and uh and then he just kind of like acted like we weren't broken up i guess and uh he showed up to a practice with the entirety of the enter of ice lord record written just showed up and had it and then uh somehow i don't really even really know how he had gotten in touch with uh vince spina from hardcore records uh and he said he said hey i had this record written hardcore is going to put it out and i was like, what and uh i was like well, Vince is crazy. He's going to lose a lot of money on this one. Like we're not even really a band, but uh, I think it ended up being a good decision to be sold, sold out of the entire press. But, uh, and Vince had done a lot for our band. And, and for, there was a little stretch of time where hardcore was putting out a lot of really good records. And uh, so it was kind of exciting to be able to be a part of that little run with us, rock bottom, wrong answer and lifeless kind of all, younger bands at the time from the same area all on the same label and uh you know it ended up being really good and and uh yeah it's weird to think that it it almost never happened i guess if if pat would have just actually quit the band for good after us being a band for six months yeah now i just want to know what what like what kind of sparked his interest or was this part of his plan the whole time did he just need some alone time to get back and like yeah just to do all that writing that's wild to yeah to kind of step away but then come back with a whole new record and just kind of this new direction and it be successful yeah and at the time i i was playing bass in this band called burdens and so i was trying to do that and I had to all of a sudden write an entire record's worth of lyrics pretty quickly because he showed up with all the songs all at once and it was really rare to go to record. And uh, and so, yeah, I kind of just threw lyrics together really quickly on a weekend tour that Burdens was doing. Uh, I wrote them in the basement of this guy, uh, Ryan Wallace, who played in the band Damages. I wrote them in his basement. We were staying there for a couple of days. <laughs> That's wild. I feel like that's a lot of pressure because it's just like I yeah, feel like I'm, I'm terrible at writing lyrics. Mm-hmm. So like trying to do it quickly is is stressful. Yeah, when you know that there's like this whole record just kind of waiting for you to put lyrics to it. Right. Yeah. Because usually I'll like kind of jot things down, like I'll pop, an idea will pop into my head, and I'll kind of write things, and then when it comes time to put out a record, I'll have like a backlog of like 
at least not necessarily full fleshed out songs, but like at least ideas that I can then turn into songs. But I really had nothing at the time. So it was, it was tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, I, I can't even imagine, but, but it seems like, you know, you were able to pull it together and, um, you know, put out some quality lyrics because uh, it seems like a lot of people were into that record. Yeah. I mean, I think probably that was our biggest record as far as like when we play those songs live, those are the songs like embrace hate and, and natural selection, I think were probably our two biggest songs that people actually cared about and knew all the words to So, I mean, those are things that we played every single show for the entire rest of the time we were a band. And I think, I think the wall is closing in as our best record personally, but uh, those songs never, never really, I guess, got the reactions that our, our demo and and the uh, and our voice lords got. Yeah, it it, it is weird because obviously you don't really have a choice um, when it comes to situations like that, right? You um, create this music, you put it out there, then it's just kind of up to uh, the, the listeners or the fans to kind of d- decide like what they like. Yeah, yeah it's we we got so lucky because it's it's so hard to make a band. There's so many good bands out there that don't get a chance to do all the cool things that we got to do and like it's just kind of i guess right right thinking at the right time and we just got really lucky because we didn't really do much to like push ourselves really and like people were just hitting us up all the time to come play shows and it just kind of happened naturally whereas i feel like now i don't know if it's just because i'm older now and it's like harder to get out and, and do things but like or, or maybe that there's so many bands out there that people don't really come asking for shows it's more you have to go and and hit them up and ask them about shows or or what or i don't know but uh we got we got really lucky and immediately after putting out the demo we got to go up and play in uh in milwaukee and bought a van just to drive out there <laughs> It was a it was a death trap. I got it for a thousand dollars, and oh, wow. it barely ran. And uh, looking back later, I think I think it might have been stolen. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that sounds really cheap for a van. Because uh, the guy told me his name off the Craigslist ad, and then I realized when he was signing the uh, the title over to me, the name he was signing on the title wasn't the name he had given me on on the phone now, that's a little weird but i didn't really think much more of it and then later on uh we had, we had one key that didn't work on any of the doors but it worked on the ignition and so doug had put on like just bought locks at like a hardware store and so every single door on the van had a different key that opened it which was ridiculous but then andrew was driving one time and i looked over and he had the wrong key in the ignition. I was like, how the hell did you start the van? And then we realized that literally any key could start the van or just no key at all. You could just turn the ignition and could turn the van off. Wow. Really? So I think it was stolen, but it got us all over the place. Like we got to Milwaukee and back and South Florida and back and, and we went to Mexico and back in that van. And somehow, some way it just kept kept going you yeah. know that had everything wrong with it like 
you go uphill and the check engine light would go on. Well, I guess that thousand dollars wasn't that bad of an investment. Oh yeah, it turned out to be a good investment. <laughs> that is insane. And you never got pulled over to find out if it was actually stolen or anything. No, the title cleared. Oh really? Uh, okay. So, uh, and then yeah, never had an issue. So I don't know. Maybe it wasn't stolen and it just felt really sketchy, but yeah, it was interesting. Now I want to know the real origin of that van. Yeah, because it was just <laughs> it had been sitting in this guy's backyard. I guess it seemed like for years, mm -hmm. but, uh, it ran and got us all over the place for very little money. That's wild. It and definitely did not pass inspection. Uh, somehow a friend of ours was able to just get us stickers and mm -hmm. we would keep doing that. And yeah, the, we were all just like college kids and didn't really have the money to be buying an actually nice van. <laughs> No, I get it. There's some, uh, you know, places out here, like if you have to go get like a smog test, it's like, uh, uh, we guarantee you'll pass, uh, you know, pass or don't pay. And I'm just like, all right, I wonder what they're doing over there. Interesting. Yeah. I think California has way more strict regulations on that than Pennsylvania does. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild, but, um, how confident were you guys when you decided to take it to Mexico? Cause th th that's a pretty far drive for you guys. Yeah. I mean, at the time, I think we were more confident than we should have been because it had gotten us all the way to Milwaukee and back. Mm -hmm. And so like, well, that was pretty far. So we just, we, uh, our friend Brad had another friend who ran a, an auto shop kind of out of his house. And uh, we just kind of took the van to him before the tour and said, like, fix anything that like looks like it might break soon. And he did a few repairs and then in south texas somewhere it, the radiator started leaking um but doug was able to fix it and having having doug actually understood a little bit about cars was a big help because i'm clueless when it comes to that kind of stuff but uh yeah so we didn't actually drive across the border we um we took a bus and we played in mccallan texas the night before and then the guy who booked our show in mccallan just drove us to the border in the back of his pickup truck and uh we got a bus to monterey and uh it turned out so the guy who booked our, our show in texas he said that if we we're going to be in mexico for under 24 hours we didn't need this thing called a permiso which is like the visa paperwork to be in the country mm -hmm. and uh turned out that that was true but it's only true within like a certain mile distance of the border and so our show was outside of that range and we didn't know that so we bought our bus tickets went to mexico the uh the bus doesn't stop at the border for some reason at all to check any kind of paperwork and just drives right through so then we're probably like five hours into the country when we're crossing the uh the border between Nuevo Leon and whatever, whatever state we had entered through. And I guess there's, there's military checkpoints at, at every state line. And so a guy with a machine gun on his back comes on the bus, is checking all of our paperwork. And then we think we're fine. We just hand him our passport. We don't know what they're saying. So none of us really know Spanish. And, uh, and then after he checks the whole bus, he singles out all of us in, in agitator and wrong answer. And drags us off the bus and uh, takes us into this interrogation sort of room and is just screaming at us, pointing to this thing on a wall. We have no idea what the hell he's saying. 
So we're just like, fuck, (laughs) what the fuck do we do? And, um, and then fortunately some, some woman from the bus gets off and is able to translate for us and said that we need this thing called a permiso and you can't get it here. We can only get it at the border. And so then our bus just leaves without us and we're just stuck at this military compound thing basically. And then we figure out that we have to try to hitchhike on another bus going the other direction to get back to the border. And so we walk across this dirt road and we're walking up to the other side and they're pointing like mounted machine gun turrets and grenade launchers and shit at us as we're walking up holding our guitar cases. <laughs> and uh, we're just like, well, this is it. We're, this, is, this is where we're going to die. And Because I guess they're ready to go to war with the cartels. So they have this heavy machinery and weaponry. And uh, we go over there and a guy comes out and tries to ask us what's going on. But he speak, I think he spoke Italian, French, and Spanish, but not English. And none of us could really communicate what the problem was. And somehow, just through repeating the same things over and over and over again, he was able to figure out that we needed to get back to the border. And uh, so we ended up taking another bus. It took us back to the border, and we ended up in Reynosa, which was not the border that we left from. <laughs> so we have no idea where the hell we are. And this is before like iPhones where we could just look stuff up and figure out what to do on our own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we're, we're clearly, it's like very much not a touristy part of Mexico. So like no one knows what the hell a permiso is because they never have to deal with it. And so we're wandering around the bus station and no one can help us. And then the film guitar player for wrong answer remembers that at the grocery store he works at in Philadelphia, there was an illegal immigrant that worked there. And we're close enough to uh, to America that we could pick up a cell tower. And he calls the grocery store, explains our situation to the guy who was working at the store, and then just passed his cell phone off to a bus station employee. They talked to each other in Spanish for a little while. And then uh, the lady just waits for us to follow her and takes us to a taxi, says some stuff to the taxi, and then we just have to trust that the taxi is going to take us to where we need to go. And like before this trip, my mom was trying to just scare me into not going to Mexico because uh, at the time in Monterey, I guess it's where all the cartels' families live, and they were trying to get the cartels out of the city. And so there was lots of violence in the streets and stuff. So I'm just thinking like the worst case scenario, like we're going to get like abducted or something. So my mom has been putting these ideas in my head the whole time leading up to this tour. But fortunately, somehow everything works out. We get to the border, we get our paperwork, and uh, we were able to get a bus back to Monterey and still play our show. And so it was an awesome experience because at the time, bands weren't really playing Mexico because of of how bad the, the cartel violence was. So like, even though the people there didn't really know us as a band, they were all really appreciative that we came and we got to see this band called It's Now, which was the local straight edge band. And uh, like, there's probably about 75 people at the show. And it's not an exaggeration when I say that literally every single one of them was moshing and singing along to every single word of It's Now. And it was like one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to see. Just like such an isolated hardcore community going so hard for their own band. And 
and just getting to experience something that we don't really see in the United States. So uh, that's kind of a, I guess a long story. But, no, that's a great one. That that but, is, uh, I, I, I didn't even know. The craziest things that ever happened to us on tour, and and then the, and then we just went back to uh, to Texas and and picked our van back up and and continued on tour. Dude. So we got to play that the one show in Mexico because I guess Letdown had played there a few years earlier. So it was someone that uh, that Ogden had known from from when they played in Mexico the first time, and so he had set up the show and it was a really cool experience i would have been so demoralized once i got back to the border uh, after yeah. the taxi ride i would have been like are you kidding me we're back at the very beginning and then now we have to travel all the way back that is insane and yeah so somehow we didn't get discouraged mm -hmm. i think part of it too is that we had no idea where the hell we were so like we didn't know how to get back to texas from where we were mm -hmm. so like all the only thing in our minds is we just have to get to monterey because it's at least that's something that we know and uh and it ended up being awesome yeah and you you're talking about um everybody going off and being in like an isolated scene i, I feel like that is uh, one way to kind of uh get people's attention especially if there's uh people from out of town coming in you got to go off for the local band to kind of show that you guys uh, you have something special going on and to you know word of mouth spreads like you know super fast and uh, you know you talk about this experience to your friends and they hear about it and then they you know get um, interested and maybe eventually go out there and i am surprised that more bands from the states don't go to um, you know uh, to mexico because like obviously like we hear about a lot of bands going up to canada um, a bunch of you know shows happening up there but uh, it is uh, kind of interesting that not a lot of bands make it down south. Yeah, I mean, at least at least from talking to the people at the time in Mexico, it seemed like mostly it's just that people are kind of worried about going to Mexico, driving through Mexico, mm -hmm. and like all the different advisories and things, like you only drive on highways, don't drive at night, stuff like that, because of of this the danger of of the cartels and so i think that's part of it and i guess we were just lucky i mean luckily we didn't really have any issues other than us not having the right paperwork yeah. but um we were down there uh they'd asked if we wanted to come back and, and do a whole tour in mexico mm -hmm. but um unfortunately never ended up working out because it was really hard for us to tour we were all in school and so pretty much we toured once a year and it was over winter break and uh and so we really never never got to make it happen and we got a couple other cool things that got offered to us that we never never ended up being able to make happen like there was someone in, in southeast asia that really really wanted us to go over there and uh i really wish we would have just because when i don't know when else i get to go to places like malaysia and thailand and singapore and I really wish that while we had the opportunity, we took advantage of it, even if the financial aspect of it didn't make sense. I think looking back, I would have rather just lost the money and had a cool experience than, than anything else. So, uh, but even so, we got to do all sorts of things. We got to see the entire United States just because we started a hardcore band. You guys got to play oh, Sound and Fury. Yeah, like, and and for me, getting to play that year specifically was a pretty big deal because I really I loved Violation, 
Mm-hmm. And that Great was our last show. And so seeing them in California, it, it was awesome because they had played This Is Hardcore. I want to say it was This Is Hardcore 2008. They had just put out their LP. And it was pretty much just me and, and Dion from Rock Bottom were the only people that knew the words because the record had just come out. And so like I had always really wanted to see them again because I feel like once that record was out longer it really gained a lot of traction and and, and then they were breaking up and we just so happened to be able to go and and play at, at their last show which was Santa Fury and their set was crazy yeah and that I, I always liked that venue it was like a little big but it was always just cool being in there just I was always just kind of like just surprised I'm like wow this is like such a big space but it's so cool that there's like an awesome like hardcore show happening in here so yeah. just being able to see all those cool yeah, bands the, the sound in there i guess because it was so big just bounced around and so the sound was kind of bad at times so i think bands were trying to compensate for the sound by playing even louder mm-hmm. which i think made the problem even worse <laughs> because i remember during bitter end set like there were a band that i knew a lot of their songs and there was times where i could not figure out what the hell they were like what song they were actually playing but i remember uh the suicide file played and i love them so seeing them and trial and and violation i I was really psyched i would have wanted to go even if we weren't playing so it was cool to be able to also play and help cover our our expenses to fly out with with selling merch and stuff Mm -hmm. yeah it was was a great year that was my my first time ever going to california uh Mm -hmm for sound and fury so it was a pretty wild experience all around yeah no it's a great reason to to come out here and uh, that was my only time ever seeing the suicide file so i remember when i saw that they were playing i was super excited so i was happy that i was able to catch them that year because they've never come back since then yeah i mean i don't know that they've played that many shows since i they played this as hardcore i want to say it was tw- 2009, maybe. No, I'm pretty sure. Was it 2009? Because I, I think I, I felt like it was 2010. Hold on. We, we can look it up. Because 2010 was the, the year that Agitator played. The first one that we played. Um, so I know the year, the day we played was Marauder and Sheer Terror. And I can't remember if Suicide File was the same year. It was also the year that Ink and Dagger played. Which was amazing, and uh, I never thought I'd get to see Ink and Dagger play. Mm-hmm. It wasn't technically the real Ink and Dagger. Seeing it with Singer Thursday was was awesome. Yeah. Okay, so I'm looking on YouTube and I'm seeing uh, they did play 2009. 2009, okay, yeah, yeah and they played again uh, a few years later. Uh, they played when, once it had been moved to the electric factory, mm-hmm. but um, I'm not sure if they played since. I hope I hope they play again because they're one of my favorite bands. So I would love to see them again. Yeah, and you know, great representation of the area. So I would like to see them again as well. Um, but so Agitator uh, 
last show happened but um since then you guys have popped up a couple times is uh you know is that gonna be a, an ongoing trend maybe you guys still continue to pop up here and there or um i feel at least personally i get the sense that the last time we played is more was more likely to be the last time we played than the other times mm -hmm. um just because now we kind of all of us have other bands going on that there's no real reason for us to play, I guess, other than the fact that it, it's, it would be fun maybe to do, but like between Payback, Year of the Knife, and Struck Nerve, all of us have other stuff going on. So I feel like it's not impossible for it to happen again, but I, I personally don't feel the need to play just because I'd rather just play Struck Nerve shows right now. Yeah. Um, Because I've put a lot of work into those songs and so i want to try to do as much as we can with that and uh the main reasons we played the shows that we have played was the first time our friend carter uh his house had burned down and so we wanted to try to raise some money and we also knew that he really liked agitator and so we thought let's do it uh and then also our friend jake uh needed another benefit show for him as well and so it just felt like the right thing to do to try to help out our friends. And, um, and then I really, really wanted to play with point of contact. Uh, they, they never existed at the same time as us. And so, uh, Bob was saying that maybe we should do a 10 year show. And I was kind of skeptical about it. Uh, and we did, we just played those two other shows like if people still really care i don't know like i really don't want to do a reunion and then no one gives a shit that uh, like that's not something i have any interest in doing <laughs> so uh he was able to to convince me that it was a good idea and uh and then the first band that came to mind i wanted point of contact to play with us so point of contact drove all the way from tampa to play that show uh and so i'm glad he did and i'm glad we played for the, the 10 years of our demo because i mean it's crazy now to think that that show was two years ago missing a year and a half of my, my hardcore life it's like yeah my whole perception of time is just so fucked but uh yeah i mean i can't say enough good things about point of contact dude same here great great group of guys i i seriously love that band and i was fortunate enough to have uh garrett and jose on the podcast and and it, i don't know why but a blue like it, it totally just like uh like i didn't think about it but i was on vacation in florida the same time that the record release for commitment was happening oh awesome and i i, I thought about it, i'm like holy shit i had no idea that this is lining up i was like i'm gonna skip a day of vacation to or well I, I do like an annual trip with my friends to disney world so i told all of them i was like hey i was like i'm leaving for the day because i'm going to this record release show like uh, you know don't hate me i'll be back uh and luckily um i had a friend driving down and he picked me up on the way and it was my first ever florida hardcore show and it was seriously one of the best nights ever seriously that lineup was sick i, I love point of contact like i think they're one of the best straight edge bands yeah i mean I, I thought about flying down just for that show because mm -hmm. uh, usually we can get really cheap flights from Philly to Tampa because uh, usually you can get it either Spirit or Frontier. And 
for whatever reason, the flights were not cheap that weekend. And so I couldn't really justify it. <laughs> it would have been like $300 or something like that. But because um, usually it, we, I, when I fly down for FYA, it's like 100 bucks round trip, if, if that. And maybe mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's years I spend like 80 bucks round trip if you go to FYA. That's so, so cheap. I don't know. Maybe maybe in the summer, other times a year, the, the flights aren't as cheap. I'm not sure. But I feel like they're one of the few bands that like in their lyrics – sort of see straight edge the same way that I do. So like, that's a band that I really, I just love them and I, I'll put on for them as long as they're still a band. Same here. I, I was, I, I was stoked on that tour that they had cause they were, you know, kind of going across America, but uh, the closest date to me was going to be in Las Vegas. And I was just like, you know what? I have some friends in Vegas. I'm going to make that drive because point of contact on the West coast, like I'm not going to miss it. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't realize that they had done a tour. No, no, it, it was supposed to happen, but then COVID hit and it got... Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. Okay, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, so it never happened. But I was willing to make that drive because, it, like I said, if Point of Contact comes to the West Coast, I, I got to you know see every date because like, it, it, they're from, you know obviously, in Florida, the other side of the country. I don't get to see them that often. They're not local to me, so I always want to... Um, you know, try to make the most of it and, uh, you know, see them as much as I can. So it's just like crazy. I, I can't wait to see them again whenever that is in the future. But yeah, I, yeah I'm yeah. a huge fan of that band. Definitely. So, um, so Agitator, uh, the book's not fully closed. So maybe, maybe something in the future. Yeah, I wouldn't say is a 0% chance mm-hmm. of it happening, but certainly not a priority. Okay. Uh, it would have to be something that seemed fun enough for for something that made made us feel like it needs to happen okay uh but uh, yeah i mean as long as it's still fun i always want to do it because i mean that's what hardcore is for me hardcore is for having fun like if, if it's still fun why would you why would you stop forever i don't so and like that's something i've actually a good conversation i had with uh with carl from strength for a reason at the Madball show the other week, he was talking about how I think they've been a band since 1997, I think. Damn. He still loves it. And he said, why would I ever stop? Because hardcore is fun. It's about seeing my friends and all my, if if I get to play shows and I don't need to be the biggest band, but as long as it's still fun, why would I stop? And I think that's the the mentality that everyone should have. Like I don't know. I think people take it too seriously maybe sometimes, but I, th- I think as long as us playing shows is still fun, then I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, so. I, I agree. And I, I kind of share those sentiments with you guys because I've uh, you know been in it for a minute and I, I feel like I've never been satisfied when it comes to you know listening to music or going to shows. I, I just have like this constant hunger for wanting more. So I, I just, um, I'm just here, you know, and it hasn't stopped. I, I've never thought about leaving. I've never stopped listening to hardcore. Um, it, it's, you know, something that I listen to every day and, uh, you know, doing this podcast gives me a, a great opportunity to uh, give back in a different way. Cause I don't play in a band. I don't book shows. So it, it's just, yeah, something that I, I thoroughly enjoy. And, you know, th- that's, uh, you know, why I'm still here. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. I think like, I, I've never understood how someone could lose interest in hardcore. To me, it's just like the most exciting 
thing that there is. And there's more and more new good bands all the time. Like, it's not like it's gotten stale or boring. And especially right now, there's so many good bands. And now the shows are coming back. I think, I'm hoping there'll be sort of a, a hardcore, I don't know, renaissance of sorts where people are get excited about it. And just, because like all these videos of all the shows in California are all insane. Mm-hmm. And if somehow that energy can just keep moving forward into the future. Like I think I, I have to imagine that those shows are exposing so many people to hardcore that never knew about it before. Because, I mean, it looks like the entire world is at those shows. Yeah. I saw the videos of like the Tsunami and Gulch show mm-hmm. and the, Dude, the, the show that just happened. They did that Tsunami, like uh, Tsunami played like, two weekends in a row and had like the same turnout it's insane and yeah, I, it's crazy yeah so shout out to everybody up north um you know out there representing and showing up for the scene because obviously um, nobody was forced to go that was a choice they all made and i was so yeah, happy to see them been, get that turnout those guys have been doing bands forever because when agitator came through san jose it would have had to have been like 2011 or 2012 and we played with our old band uh bad times crew I don't know if you remember that band, mm-hmm. but uh, them and and Spinebreaker, I think Spinebreaker is still a band somehow. They are, but twelve um, years later or whatever it may be, which is crazy. Yeah, still a band. But, but, uh, 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 shout out to Alex and everybody in the band. Uh, hopefully, they, they put out the new some new stuff. Uh, get active. Yeah, so it's awesome. It's awesome seeing them still give a shit about hardcore and seeing people caring about their music because they're people who've been putting their all into hardcore, I guess, you know, for like over a decade. Yeah. And not many, most people are, you know, they come and sort of see what it's about for a few years and, and move on. So it's, it's good to see there's other people out there that, that still give a shit. hundred percent. And that's why um, it, it, it's cool to see. And uh, also like, it, it gives me something cool to look forward to is when, when I think about, um, because there's been stuff you know that's gone on down here, right? But I'm um, not um, as frequent. Uh, I think like the last thing that happened, uh, the Balbo Section Hate uh, played, yeah. uh, which was sick. Uh, but like, yeah, things are uh, like on the horizon. We got things uh, you know coming down the pipeline, and it, it's going to be a, a pretty fun time to be into this kind of music because there's a lot of cool shows happening, a lot of great bands coming through, a lot of newer bands from the area that are um, going to be playing their first show. There's a band out here called Law of Power that I try to tell everybody about because I think they're like one of the oh, sickest yeah, like yeah. newer bands to, to, to come out of L.A. Uh, so they, if you guys haven't listened to Law of Power, go check them out. They're fucking awesome. Have they played a show yet? No, no. Their first show, um, they're they're playing with Madball, um, uh, next month. Okay. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be sick. Um, there was another band that you guys were in. Uh, I'm kind of curious what happened to it. I'm not sure if it was serious or not. Um, uh, they're called Nothing to Hide. Oh sure, yeah. So uh, yeah. After Agitator broke up, uh, Anthony and and Jake had asked me to sing in a band, and so. It was like half half serious, half kind of fun, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we we existed for I don't even know if it was a full year, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And somehow, I just like there was all these kids from Delco, which is Delaware County, mm-hmm. right outside of Philly, that that really put on for the band because there there was a time where 
Delaware County had a, a really big hardcore scene and it kind of died off. And I think just for the fact that we were saying that we were from there, I think a lot of kids latched onto it. Uh, there was kind of a whole squad of kids from, from Delco that would always roll out when we played. Because Anthony and, and Jake were, uh, are from, from Delaware County. And uh, yeah, so it wasn't super serious, but it was fun. Okay. And uh, we never, we, I don't know that we ever played a show outside of like Philly or, or the, the suburbs. It was just a awesome local, like regional thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, and Anthony had pretty much just taught himself how to play guitar because he wanted to play in a band. So uh, he put in a bunch of work and learned how to play and, and wrote those songs. Okay. And, I, I want to talk about Struck Nerve, but before we get into that, um, was there a, a lineup change? For Struck Nerve? Yes. Yeah, so uh, basically when we went to record the LP, Anthony was just super busy all the time. And at the time he was going to Canada pretty regularly and, and or just traveling and things and mm-hmm. or, or touring with Jesus Peace. And it was really, really hard for us to play shows or even – find time to go to the studio and basically with putting a record out on young blood which is something i've wanted to do since i was like 17 years old i really wanted to make sure that we could give it like a shot of being in like as real of a band i guess as we could and like actually play shows and and things like that so it really wasn't possible with with anthony singing and so what we ended up doing is Anthony's going to be playing guitar now. And I'll, and then, so I'm still writing all the songs. And then uh, I, I have Pat record them because I'm terrible at guitar. So I write the songs, Pat records them. And then, uh, and then live it'll be Pat and Anthony playing guitar and I'll be singing. So that way, when Anthony's away, we can still kind of exist without, without him there. Like we can just play with one guitar player or get a fill in or something. But when he's here, he can still be in the band and still play with us. And it kind of seems like the best solution um, for us to really actually be able to try to do some stuff. Okay. Well, I'm glad that uh, he's still in the band and that you guys were able to kind of, um, you know, move pieces around just to be able to be more active. Cause I'm, I'm happy to see that you guys are, uh, you know, yeah, on, so- on a bunch of flyers coming up. Yeah, the barbecue show coming up will, will be his first time playing guitar with us. So it should be cool. And uh, yeah, then we have that uh, fest that Nate's doing up in Wilkes Bear. Uh, still won't break. Mm-hmm. I'll so, be there. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Awesome. I, yeah, I'm actually flying out, which I'm uh, pretty excited about because I planned on going to um, Volume 2 when it was supposed to happen last year. But obviously, we all know what happened last right. year. Uh, nothing happened uh so uh, that's why i didn't fly out but i told nate because nate's a good friend um uh, to talk to him all the time uh, i i told him i was like yo if, if you're doing it uh, this year i'm definitely flying out so uh got announced i already have my plane ticket uh, you know booked uh, so I'm, I'm going out there it, it's gonna be so sick so many awesome bands on that lineup yeah nate's the man so i was really psyched that he asked us to be a part of that and the lineup is this is gonna be is awesome yes and and uh, yes, yeah, so the night, the the first night, Andrew from from Payback and Agitator is getting married, uh, and then the very next day, we're gonna roll up and 
and uh, play the show up in Wilkes Barre. Wow, that is that is wild. So I don't know if Andrew will be there because he, he might be going on, on his honeymoon. His honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, selfish uh, me would love to see him there because I would love to meet uh, meet him in person officially. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what his plans are. If he's if he's playing the show or if he's just leaving for his honeymoon. Postpone the honeymoon. <laughs> Is that? Yeah, I don't know if, that's I don't a big know if ask. Yeah, I don't want to get him in uh, any hot water. But um, either way, it's still going to be an awesome time. I'm, I'm glad you guys are able to go to the wedding and then uh, make the show the next day. Yeah, because I mean, I've been dying to play shows. So mm-hmm. I. Uh, just just to be able to play them again is, is really exciting because we put out the i finished recording the record in december of 2019 which is so long ago at this point yeah and and then uh i kind of not really thought about the album art and stuff like that so we didn't have a name for the record or anything after we finished recording it and then uh we had the idea to to ask spoiler to to draw the album artwork who's drawn just so much awesome stuff and like obviously knows exactly the vibe we're looking for with the the kind of bands we're trying to sound like and he he really nailed the album art but i i waited way too long to ask him and so he had a backlog and so he wasn't going to be able to get the album art done until april and then the pandemic hit and we just kind of decided to not put out the record and just sort of see what happens and then by the end of the year, Youngblood was kind of thinking, oh, we'll just put it out. We have no idea like how long this is going to go on. So, yeah, at this point, some of these songs, like I wrote them in almost two years ago and haven't gotten to play any of them live. <laughs> so yeah. uh, definitely excited to play some shows. Yeah, that that's, seems like an eternity, right? You think about it, you yeah. have this, uh, you know, the record's done in December 2019, but you've, you know, kind of wrote all those songs and have been with them for longer than that. So that's just crazy. To yeah, think about. you wrote the promo song, like the, the, the law and watch you slip that were on the promo. I recorded those in April 2019. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the song that Keith's on, uh, we had recorded a sort of a different version of that for the promo that we didn't end up releasing. Oh, uh, where is that version? Um, I pro I don't even know if I have it. I might have it on a Dropbox. It's cause it's with, it's with Anthony singing and it, entirely different lyrics, mm-hmm. but it still had Keith at the end. Okay, um, that's my favorite song on the record, by the way. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really, I really, I really like that one. And, uh, yes, yeah, so there's a different version, but then when I was going to be singing, I was like, well, I feel weird using, someone else's lyrics and we never released the song so i just kind of rewrote the song mm-hmm. with different lyrics uh so like that song has existed for almost two and a half years <laughs> and because the record was never out we, we didn't want to play those songs because no one would know them and so we just played the two promo songs and then our demo so it'll be good to because i think our new songs are so much better than our demo when i when I wrote the demo, I had literally taught myself how to play guitar and then two months later wrote a demo and we recorded it. So like I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I barely could play guitar and didn't really know how like, that was my first time ever trying to write songs. And uh and so I I mean I think logically, yeah, whatever I do after that has to be better. But 
I think I think our new record sort of actually achieved the sound I was hoping for us to sound like all along. And so like really I just wanted to sound like a band that could have played on posi numbers because I had just missed that entire era of bands. Mm-hmm. But when I started getting into shows end of 2006 beginning 2007 that's like right after all those bands broke up so i never saw mental or righteous jams or desperate measures other than at letdown's last set this is hardcore they did i think like three or four songs with the singer of desperate measures but it wasn't like actually desperate measures mm-hmm. and so i would always watch that posi number 2004 dvd where every band just gets the most crazy reaction people are like diving out of the rafters from desperate measures and so I always wanted, like I've always, I guess, loved bands of that style, and there was really no one doing that that kind of sound. And so I was like, I'm just going to see if I can do it myself and picked up a guitar because I played bass for years. And so I kind of, I guess, knew the gist of how to play an instrument, but not really how to write a song. And so I think I kind of figured it out a little bit better now. <laughs> Man, I, I think it's fascinating that you wanted it that bad that you're like, all right, I'm going to teach myself so I can just start creating like this thing that I want. Yeah, because Agitator broke up and then I kept trying to start new bands and found that now that everybody's a little bit older, it's way harder to get people to actually all get in the same room and commit and or even all want to do the same thing. And so I'd actually started a band with Kevin McCloskey from Wrong Answer and John Lowe and John Martello from Rock Bottom. And uh, it kind of sounded, we wrote one song ever. It sounded like Horror Show. And I was super psyched on it. And then we just never wrote another song ever again. (laughs) And And then it happened like I kind of found lineups for bands and people would be like, oh yeah, I'm down to do this. And then they would never write the music. And then I was kind of talking to, I was complaining to Bob about, it's kind of a separate conversation of like, how I was kind of frustrated that it seemed like younger kids in Philly never really learned instruments and started bands and and how it's kind of just the same people starting all the new bands, just like kind of shuffling people around. And then I was like, wait a minute, all I ever did was sing in a band. I don't really have room to, to criticize anybody because I've never written a song. So then I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to, instead of waiting around for someone else to try to write songs for me i'm gonna try to do it myself and so i just uh i got a guitar and i uh i learned a few bad religion songs because bad religion is like the easiest songs on earth to play it's just like power chords and and really simple patterns and uh and then learned like just kind of by ear i learned some like a negative approach song and uh, a rival mob intro and just kind of figured out some songs and then figured out like sort of st- scientifically studied uh, songs to like think about like, all right, how the hell is a song structured? Like how does someone even go about doing this? And just like put together some songs. And so, I mean, I'm really excited about how it turned out. So I'm really, really excited to be playing shows. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting that you want it to be 
a, a band that you know sounds like they could have played on posse numbers because i look at that fest and i was too young to and also i'm not uh, i was too young and also i was broke back then because i was like a teenager <laughs> right I, I didn't have money to travel i don't even think my parents would have let me uh, you know fly across the country to to go to a show but just being able to you know see that stuff online and just like you know just be so jealous that i wasn't able to go it's sure. just uh it, it, it's so crazy but it's cool that um, somebody filmed it so you know obviously like it's just like a moment in time now and we can go back and rewatch it and i asked my friends from the area like you know who, like where's the person who put this thing together and they're like oh like, he's still around he's just some guy working in a shop like you know in this part of town and i'm just like i want to go talk to him and just like just pick his brain about like that whole like time period you know yeah one thing i've always wondered is with that two, 2004 dvd because it's two songs from every band that played the show i'm curious if there's footage of the rest of the sets of all of these bands somewhere or if it's just he only whoever whoever filmed it just filmed two songs of each band like i would love to see the rest of those sets like the full sets mm -hmm. if there was somewhere somehow those were on video somewhere that just never got released all right well maybe one day we'll like see sunny tweet oh just got sent this tape posi numbers yeah, 2004 or something doing some uh investigative shit he's always able to somehow dig up some tape of, of something that some angle that never existed before so yeah and um, shout out sunny uh love everything that uh, sunny does for the scene uh really important figure and uh yeah it, it would, that's how i assume like it would go about right and, you know just somebody sends it to him and then that's how we get it yeah I mean, Sonny really did a lot, I think, for Agitator in particular. Because the year we played this is hardcore, he specifically made our our video, the first video that he posted. Mm -hmm. And so, so many people watched that video that had never heard us before. And I think that was a, a big jumping off point for us. And we got a lot of more opportunities just because he, he, put, he posted our video first. And I mean, also just that Joe put us opening the day of the biggest, best, opening the first day of the first day like the first band of the first day of the biggest fest in the country mm -hmm. between between joe and then and and sonny they both really did a lot for us and and, and the fact that we went on to play i think three years in a row and then our last show so four total times that this is hardcore when when i was 17 thinking someday if i can play this this would be the craziest thing to ever happen mm -hmm. And then we got to do it four times. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah I mean, that was like a, 2010. I was so nervous. That was like a dream come true for me. Like playing, playing, I mean, because I mean, being a kid from Philly, that was like, this is hardcore was everything. Yeah. I feel like that would be a goal for bands. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it seemed to me like, how could I ever be in a band that people would care enough about? to be put on this is hardcore and, mm -hmm. and joe toward, toward the beginning hit he just he would post uh online saying the case i mean demos if you want to play this is hardcore so we didn't know him or anything at this point we were just four kids from the suburbs and and pat had sent him our demo when he happened to listen to it and uh just liked that we were from the area and putting on for straight edge because at a time when not a lot of bands really were mm -hmm. and uh at least in our area and he just kind of sight on scene threw us on uh an earth crisis show uh it was 
it was uh, the Earth Crisis at this place called the Barbary, which was a pretty small venue. And uh, and Joe is crazy enough that he just wanted the show to be ridiculous and knew that if he sold the show out, he would still be losing like $1,500 because uh, with, with what he had to pay Earth Crisis. And he just decided that he'd rather the show be crazy in a small room and lose money. And that was our first time playing like a proper Philadelphia hardcore show it was with Earth Crisis. And then a few months later, he had us on This Is Hardcore. That's that's wild. And shout out Joe, too. I I, I respect Joe a lot. Uh, he came on my podcast. Uh, you know, uh, He's been on it for like the, the past two years. Okay. And uh, I don't know if I ever talked about this publicly. Um, I remember the, the first time I uh, booked him for the podcast, I, I told a couple like local people and I got accused of being a liar. They're like, Joe Hardware's not going to do your podcast. Like, <laughs> you're nobody. And I'm just like, oh, I was like, well, I was like, okay. I was like, I'm just wait till the episode comes out. Cause I was like, oh, why would I make this up? There's no reason for me, for me to make something like that up. Right. Cause um, either I'm going to have to produce or I am a liar. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah. And back then, uh, you know, it, I, I was just a random, uh, you know, a follower on Twitter and he was just uh, super uh, uh, reactive to, to my at replies. And, uh, he came on, had a great time and he was down to do it last year. I'm sure I'll ask him to come on again at some point soon. Uh, but yeah, I, I just have a, a lot of respect for what he does for, um, the, you know, scene out there in Pennsylvania, but also, um, just for the whole scene in general. So I, 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 yeah. I think he's like one of those like important people, um, in hardcore that I'm, um, you know, um, that, that I, I love to, you know, show respect and, you know, give their flowers now. Yeah. I mean, he's, He's very much synonymous with Philly hardcore. Like he's been doing shows, I think tw 25 years or something like that, which is mm -hmm. crazy to think about. I think he started booking shows when he was 13 years old. He said, and uh, his mom booked metal shows. And so like the fact that someone could care for so long about just wanting to book hardcore bands and, Without him, Philly Hardcore, who knows where, where it would be. I mean, having such a steady hand for so long of someone who cares to bring bands to this area. Because Philly's always been a place, the entire time I've gone to hardcore shows, it's a place that people want to play. And like I've been lucky enough to never have to be the person that needs to drive five hours to go see a band that I like because they're almost always going to be coming to Philly because either Joe or Bob is going to be bringing him here. So he really helped establish Philly as a place that the bands want to, want to come and play. Yeah. And I, I feel like th that can happen anywhere. You just got to work hard and uh, keep yeah, it alive. Cause absolutely. it's uh, yeah, there's, cause it, like, like there's good bands from everywhere, right? Obviously uh, bands from like bigger scenes get a little more attention just because I um, mean, you know, more popular areas, whatever, but there's um, great bands from every scene. You just have to go out and find them. Yeah. That's one thing I loved about touring was getting to play with bands that I never would have had a reason to hear about before. Mm -hmm. And like, just getting to see what's going on in each each scene across the country. That's something I definitely miss. But I mean, I think the last time Agitator toured would have been like 2013 or something. So it's been a long time. So how can we get, um, okay, actually, uh, how did you guys, because um, you, you mentioned you wanted you know to be uh, 
on Youngblood Records since you're like 17. How did you get that opportunity with Struck Nerve? So uh, it's kind of guess two things. So Anthony, I had been talking to him a little bit about uh, possibly doing a record. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in a, another band called Pain Strikes as, as well that he had been talking about uh, to Youngblood about possibly doing a record, but that didn't end up working out. And so he was kind of trying to uh, get Struck Nerve maybe to, to do some stuff with Youngblood. And uh, I didn't, at the time, I didn't know he was doing that. Uh, and so I had just, uh, Youngblood had liked a couple of my tweets about Struck Nerve. And so I, I was like, well, he knows we exist. We have these new songs. I'm just going to email and say like, hey, like, I love Youngblood. <laughs> we have these songs that might be interested in putting out a record. And he's like, oh yeah, I've actually been talking to Anthony about it a little bit. And uh i'm kind of i want to re- sort of get the label more active again and uh at the time you had had a goal of i guess putting out five records in 2020 uh and then obviously covid had other plans <laughs> but uh you had gotten us and, and last straw is supposed to be doing a, a record on young blood as well but um at the time he'd said that he just put out a bunch of seven inches and only wanted to do a 12 inch record because it's pretty much impossible for a label to break even or make money on a seven inch. And so if you do too many of them, he said there's kind of a, a label killer. And so he really just wanted to focus on 12 inch records. So if you wanted to do a 12 inch, you'd be down to put out a record. Otherwise, you know, probably wouldn't, wouldn't really make sense. And so at the time we had four songs written and I was like, yeah, fuck it. Like we'll just write more songs if, if that's what it takes to put out a, uh, a record on Youngblood, so uh, we just kind of took the two songs, uh, "The Wall" and "Watch You Slip," and put that out as a promo. And then just kind of Joe and I got back to the practice space and just tried to write more songs. And uh, ultimately, I'm really glad that we did because uh, the way it is, uh, which it was the song "Keith," and then uh, "Dollar Signs" and common ground those were all songs that wouldn't really have existed in that form had we not taken the time to sort of step back and and write more songs for for the new record and those end up being some of my favorite songs on the record so um i was kind of glad that youngblood pushed us a little bit towards a 12 inch rather than a seven inch so i think that we just happened to sort of hit our stride and, and write what I think are some of our best songs. And I'm happy you pronounced uh, dollar signs because I wasn't sure how to read that. I was like, is that like, how do I read that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> stupid, but I thought it was. No, I, I feel stupid was, after hearing you say it. I'm like, wow, that actually makes sense. I'm an idiot. Yeah. I mean, uh, most people have asked me what the hell it's, how it's supposed to be said, but uh, I think it's kind of, to me, it's funny having a song title that nobody really knows what the hell it is mm-hmm. and so it's just kind of for my own amusement yeah well it, it, it's, it's great now there's clarifications for for anybody yeah. who's in the same boat as me i was thinking is it money dollars yeah. like what is I it not, i was thinking that maybe in every single show we play i'll say something different to keep people guessing about what the hell it's actually supposed to be the the great debate well at this show he said it no when he came into my town he said that 
Interesting. Okay. Um, you mentioned last draw. That's something that I would love to see happen is struck nerve last draw, do some sort of uh, regional thing. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm selfish. I'm, awesome. I, I hope, I hope that, uh, they, they finish the record. I, Cause as far, as far as I'm aware, they had ha- had everything written mm-hmm. before, like before COVID, and then decided to wait on it to record it, since uh, they really had no idea when it could actually be released. And so, my understanding is that it's already written. So hopefully, it's still in the works and still going to be happening. Because I know that all of them, all of them have plenty of other bands that probably take up a lot more of their time. So. Mm-hmm between anxious and one step closer both putting out new records i can see them being busy but i really liked the last draw demo so same here definitely hope that that they uh actually put out their record and and get to play some shows with them well you're going to be in the same room as them uh this weekend so hopefully maybe you can kind of nudge them in the right direction (laughs) that's true yeah see see what's going on with it yeah as far as i know it's it's i haven't heard anything otherwise i think it's still i think it's still in the works um, and one thing that I like that you guys did with the um, promo for Rattle the Cage, uh, you guys were you know, you know uh, premiering songs on these other platform or, or these other podcasts, and I was like, oh, that's that, that's brilliant. That, that, that's a great idea. Where did you guys come up with that? Um, that was Sean's idea. Uh, Sean Youngblood. He he wanted to try to, I guess, release songs in unconventional ways. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he had reached out to a few different podcasts to play songs. And uh, I thought that was really cool because for one, I mean, not that there's the struck nerve has that big of a following, but even if it took a couple people that hadn't previously listened to those podcasts, it would bring them to listen to the podcast maybe. And also people who'd listen to the podcast would never heard of us. Maybe they hear the song and want to check us out. So I think, it was kind of a cool concept to maybe, I mean, certainly the, I think the podcast were helping us a lot more than we were helping the podcast, <laughs> but, but, uh, I like the idea that it could be kind of a synergistic relationship. Yeah. And I like that you guys went to multiple cause you'll see the one, right? Like, okay, new song here. And then that's it. But like, you guys were like, all right, no, we're not stopping here. We're going to keep going. And I was like, yes, that's, that's, you know, awesome. That's brilliant. You know, to, to get these people before the record comes out. All right. And like you said, people who may not be fans of those podcasts already, um, you know, tuning in, getting some new content, um, either from the podcast or from you guys. I was just like, thought it was great, great move. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I thought it was cool. And he also said he liked the idea of making people have to work a little bit to hear the songs. <laughs> Yes, because sometimes it's just so easy. All right, let me click this link, uh, and then maybe 20 seconds in, I'm over it. Boom. Let me go back to looking at memes or something. But if they're going to go seek it out, I feel like they're going to want to stick around and you know see if they actually like it or not. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I'm a fan of it, by the way. Like the record. Cool. Uh, and I am curious about the, the title of the record. Where did you come up with that? Um, I think Anthony thought of it. Um, I... I don't really know. I don't, unfortunately, don't have a great story behind it. But uh, it's all good. Uh, yeah, I, I'm really, really bad at naming things, and so I was throwing around all these ideas, and none of them were really sticking, and uh, and none of them really felt like they were just made sense. And so, rattle the cage, I think, 
fits along the concept of, of of striking a nerve to a sense of you know like the song like the song dollar signs is you know kind of about how the booking agents kind of convincing bands that they need the booking agents help to go tour when hardcore is supposed to be a diy thing and and sort of making all these bands go and tour and taking 10 percent of their money when they really have no business needing a booking agent they could just book the shows themselves like at a certain point obviously bands need a booking agents and things like that but like i don't know i think i've always tried to with my lyrics to an extent kind of rattle the cage and, and stir up some trouble i guess but okay um, we need that i don't know yeah so like I, I felt appropriate once he once he, he he threw that name out there. So all right, yeah, let's go with that. But uh, the the band name struck nerve. I actually got from uh, a bad religion song. They have a song called "Struck a Nerve," and uh, I've always really loved bad religion. They were like the first like kind of more punk band that I really got into. Mm-hmm. They're a big band too. They've been doing it for years. Yeah, it's crazy. And the, all my friends get really annoyed with me when I try to tell them that Bad Religion has nine good records. <laughs> but they all think I'm insane. But I love Bad Religion. Yeah. But we also got to think, too, it's like, oh, uh, if, if, if they're not a fan already, and it's like the, the idea of trying to get into like nine records, that just seems like such a huge task. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, they probably don't have nine actual classic records, but I still... Mm-hmm. They still have that many records that I find to be enjoyable, even though it's just different power chords mixed in different orders. <laughs> they all kind of sound the same. Yeah, no, I I, I totally get that. I, I feel like that's me when I'm trying to convince my friends that Newfound Glory has good records after Sticks and Stones. Okay. So yeah, I yeah, because Sticks and Stones is the one that I would I loved that when that was mm-hmm. out, but then I kind of got into other shit and never really listened to anything after that. Yeah, so it's just like they do have good records. So if you have time, uh, hit up that Spotify. It, it, it's, it, it's amazing. I, I love that band. They're, they're great. I'll have, to, I'll have to check it out. Okay. So we know Struckner is, uh, you know, playing the barbecue, playing Still Won't Break Volume 2. Do you guys have anything else lined up that hasn't been announced yet that you can talk about? Um, not much that I, that, I, that I know if I'm allowed to talk about. But um, Okay. Okay. We have a couple of things lined up. They're kind of exciting. Um, but I had wanted to try to do a whole bunch of weekend tours once our new record was out. Um, I started, sort of started working on ideas for weekends, but then COVID happened. So my hope is once we get back in the swing of things to hopefully at least play you know, regional stuff around Philly, I'd love to get out to, you know, Long Island and play some other place we haven't played or, or we can go back to some places and go back to Boston and uh or play out in uh Buffalo because we were supposed to play in Buffalo and then it just didn't work out uh and I'd love to play in Richmond and any any I, I want to play everywhere so I mean anywhere that I can drive within a weekend I'd love to go play so we got to get, get struck nerve struck nerve uh, yeah. Milwaukee weekend yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't know if I'm dumb enough to try to do that again, but I would do it, <laughs> I guess. 
and I, I'm, I'm always curious about Milwaukee because I was such a big fan of uh, Focus Minds, and more recently, Forced Impact was such a sick band. Um, but I'm I, I just feel like I haven't heard too much from from them these days. Yeah, yeah. At the time, uh, we it was the first weekend we ever did, and so we got asked to play the show. We got a show on either it was on a Saturday. We got a show on a Friday and a Sunday, and then the Friday and Sunday shows both fell through. But we were so excited about the concept of playing somewhere outside of like our hometown that was like we're just gonna still go, and uh, and so we got in the van and drove out there and. Uh, Somehow, for the first six hours, our ETA got one hour farther away. And so, ended up taking us 21 hours straight of driving to get Whoa. to Milwaukee. Insane. It was supposed to be like this all-day show. It was like a little mini fest sort of thing. And um, we were supposed to get there early, like chill, hang out all day. Instead, we got there about 30 minutes before our set. We were, it was, at the end of the day, it was us and then expired. And uh, it was kind of when both of us were just getting started. And so uh, at the time, it didn't really feel like it made sense for either of us to be headlining this thing. But we both ended up getting good reactions and ended up being a really good time. But we got there, we played the show, and then just immediately drove home. That is so crazy. We didn't sleep or anything. We just like took shifts sleeping in the car and then drove out there. And it took us 14 hours to get home, which was what it's actually supposed to be, but uh, fuck yeah, I, I would I would go and do a weekend in Milwaukee again. I don't know if I could convince everyone else because it's a hell of a drive for a weekend. Yeah, it's like all right, we'll we'll get there in fourteen, not twenty one this time. Yeah, yeah, so maybe spend a little more time in Milwaukee. But yeah, if uh, hopefully if anybody's listening, they'll they'll reach out and try to make things happen. Because yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, I've always been someone that's willing to suffer to go do something that's kind of cool. So. I I'm always down just for something stupid. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to realize like it's going to be worth it. Like once you get there, it might not be the exactly. best trip there, but once you're there, yeah, my, it, it, it'll, it'll be worth it. My perspective is always a year or so later. All I'm going to remember is the cool thing I did and not how bad it sucked getting there. So always just take advantage of the opportunities that you have when you have them because who knows when you're not going to have them anymore exactly and it's just sometimes you just got to do it just don't question it it might not make sense now but just just go and do it because yeah like these opportunities uh, might not present themselves again because like seriously with bands uh, uh these windows aren't you know they, they, they close really fast and you know band, and I, I bands break up all the time right for whatever reason yeah, or absolutely. you know and it's just like if you have the opportunity to just to do something cool go play a cool show in some you know cool place i, I just say like, go do it because who knows what's going to come out of it yeah the shelf life of a hardcore band is so short that it doesn't to me it doesn't make sense to pass up on opportunities if you have them go for them because even if the band doesn't break up it seems like you know people are so fickle that you can put out a new record no one likes it and then all of a sudden those opportunities aren't there anymore so if you got a chance to go we drove out to chicago one time for a weekend to play the rumble which is like a 20 hour drive or something mm-hmm. <laughs> but like just fuck it just go do it yeah well damn that's super awesome uh I, i'm stoked on the record uh stoked that uh you know you guys are getting out there and finally finally you know after such a long time you guys are able to you know play these songs live yeah absolutely i'm excited 
and I'm and I, I'm curious. Uh, I, I know you're like really into rock climbing. I, I'm curious uh, how you got into that because I like I'm, I'm like I don't really have any knowledge of that. I, I the only I, I think I'm just like a fan of Alex uh, Honnold because I've seen him on the Joe Rogan right. podcast a couple times. I've watched like you know some documentaries on him, uh, uh, some things on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's uh, you know pretty like pretty interesting, and some of the things that he does it's uh, you know mind blowing. But I, I'm just curious like how you got into it. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I've always been into hiking and and nature stuff in general. And so mm-hmm. one time, uh, this is probably I guess almost seven years ago at this point, I was starting to get into the idea of wanting to get into mountaineering, which would be like winter ascents of mountains with like crampons and ice axe and all those tools you need to get safely to the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. I really knew nothing about it. And so I kind of just bought some of the gear and, uh, and then one, one, and that winter it got one of those polar vortexes where it stayed 20 degrees for like a month straight. So like all the waterfalls and things around us were frozen. And I just went out snowshoeing by myself because I wanted to use the gear that I bought. And uh, there was this guy out there who was ice climbing with his brother. And so I stopped to talk to him just to sort of pick their brain about it because I was really interested in what they were doing. And I told them how I was thinking of taking a class on ice climbing up in New York. And the guy was like, no, don't do that. Just come with us. So literally two weeks later, I was out ice climbing with two strangers that I met in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds so strange. Yeah. So at that point I had never rock climbed or anything. So my first climbing experience I ever had was on a, a 40 foot frozen waterfall. And, uh, so I was uh, out there climbing with them and, uh, and then that same guy taught me everything I know about like setting up top ropes and anchors for rock climbing. And, uh, and at the time I had a big goal. I really wanted to go to Zion national park and, do the canyoneering there so you have to rappel into the canyons and then you hike through the canyons and so my friend uh she said her boyfriend was a rock climber and he probably knew a bunch of people that could teach me how to rappel and then i went to the rock gym with him and uh and was really liking it and it bumped into uh this guy donnie and clint who were just two guys from the hardcore scene here and they were like oh hey they had just started getting into climbing and they used a whole bunch of guest passes on me to get me into the rock gym for free for like a month until I really realized it was something I was super into. And, uh, and then I ended up getting a membership and I've been climbing ever since. And I never ended up going to Zion because I got so into rock climbing that I never took the time to go to Zion and do the canyoning. So I, at some point I need to go out there and do that because that's kind of the thing that started, started everything. But, uh, I just got so sucked into the rock climbing that, I just, every, every almost all my vacation days go into taking time off to go rock climb, which is why I was just in the New River Gorge rock climbing for four days on a broken ankle. Yeah, that's that's wild, but it's it's super awesome to hear that you're you know super passionate about that because I I looked at your Instagram and I see uh, tons of photos of, of you doing that, and I I think it's really interesting because I, I don't really spend a lot of time outdoors if I'm being honest. But to, to see you go out and, uh, you know, get in these crazy places, I'm just like, ah, that's so sick. Yeah, to me, it, there's always been something appealing about having to work really hard to get to somewhere and do something and see something that most other people would never want to put in the effort to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so, like, summoning mountains and, and climbing 
difficult rock faces and things like that really appeals to me. And I, I really have always liked nature and I like physical activity and, and, and problem solving. And so it kind of combines all those things into one activity that checks all the boxes. And also it's, to me, it's fun to put myself into kind of horrifying situations and, and persevering through it. Uh, especially like what's it called? Uh, it's called lead climbing where you're placing your protection as you go into the rock. And so if you fall, you're falling into the last place you clipped your rope. And so it's a the physical struggle of overcoming the whatever challenge the rock is presenting, but also the mental challenge of you might be 10 to 15 feet above the last piece of protection that you've placed. So you're facing possibly falling 20 or more feet if you fuck up. And so kind of, I guess, using your strength to also then face the fear of what you're doing, I think is really appealing to me, which I don't, I guess, I know other people would tell me that it's insane, but uh, I, I love it. I I love hearing your, your passion for it. And have you had a bad spill since you've been climbing? Um, never. I'm actually I'm incredibly injury prone in, mm-hmm. in general, but somehow I've never gotten any horrific injuries yet from climbing. Uh, just the bruises and I thought I broke my toe a few months ago. Um. But then it kind of figured itself out. So I never ended up getting an x-ray. I don't think it was broken. Okay. But, uh, and, but then the ankle, I broke at a hardcore show. <laughs> but uh, it was so far so good with, with uh, not hurting myself climbing. But, I mean, I think if you, if you climb long enough, it's only a matter of time until you hurt something. Or cause unfortunately, the reality of the matter is that climbing is really dangerous. And mm-hmm. I mean, so many people, the longer you climb, you're eventually going to probably know some people who've died climbing. Uh, and it's just kind of the unfortunate reality of it. But the, the good thing is, is as long as you know what you're doing and you know the people you're climbing with and you can, tr- and you trust that they know what they're doing, it's, you can really mitigate a whole lot of the risk. And, it, it, and another thing that's really interesting is there's very few other things you can do in your life where you really have to just completely trust someone else with your life. And I think it forms kind of interesting relationships of the fact that you're trusting someone else to catch you on the rope and, and save you from dying if you were to fall. And I just think that that kind of forms interesting relationships that you don't really find elsewhere. You're literally depending on, on someone else to keep you from dying. And I'm curious, are you still friends with those two strangers that you met in the forest? I am, yeah, actually. Uh, oh, the wow. one guy, I still ice climb with him in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to the Adirondacks with him um, back in February to go ice climb uh, for about, I think, three days around President's Day weekend. That's so awesome. Like you were about to travel to New York to take these classes and these nice guys who already had knowledge. Like, no, don't go there. Like we'll teach you. That's a, yeah. And that's it turns a- out he's a, he's a certified mountain guy. So I just bumped into a guy in the woods who likes teaching people stuff. And normally it would, it would cost like hundreds of dollars to hire someone 
mm-hmm. with his knowledge to take me out in the woods and climb. But instead, I just met him in the woods and he invited me out to climb with him. Yeah. And did they ever ask you, like, oh, like, why are you by yourself in the woods? Like, because I'm, I'm sure it no, might. Like, they just kind of get it. Uh-huh. They're the same kind of people that want to just go out and do these things. And if no one's willing to do them with you, you got to just do them by yourself. Yeah. And lucky enough to bump into some people that want to do it, too. I feel like uh, so I, I used to go hiking. I, I used to have like this hiking group when I uh, first moved to Orange County. And it was uh, pretty interesting because it was like the first time that I branched out and did stuff with people that I didn't know through like my roommate. So it was uh, like a, a pretty like nerve wracking time because I'm like around like all these new people. But they were like really welcoming and they knew like all these like trails out here in Southern California. So we would always. Um, we always end up doing like night hiking, which I always thought was like the um, weirdest thing, but it was like it was like the best thing for our, like all of our like work schedules. So we would just like okay. you know like sneak into like these regional parks at night and just do these trails that they knew like the, the back of their hand. But um, I, I always was like paranoid. I'm like, wow, like w- like what if we ran to like you know some like crackheads or um, you know some like devil worshippers out here trying to kill us? Like I, I was always paranoid. So it's something that I, I I never wanted to do without them because they were like way more knowledgeable than me. So it's like sure. um, I I was always too scared to go out by myself because I, yeah. I, I I was just I, maybe I, I seen like too many weird like horror movies where you know maybe uh, yeah alone in the woods. Movie, so my my mind doesn't really go to that to that i guess mm-hmm. but like my perspective has always been i'd rather take the risk of doing something by myself that maybe i shouldn't than not do it at all and so for a long time i would just backpack by myself and and stuff like that until mm-hmm. i met people that want to do it too so like more recently i uh, i met someone at my rock gym who um introduced me to like he has a whole group chat of of climbers and so pretty much every single weekend now i've been able to really regularly find people to climb with when before it was a little bit harder because mm-hmm. i didn't really like within the hardcore community most of my friends are from the hardcore community and there's not that many people that climb and so it was hard for me to climbing is not really something you can do by yourself like that's i mean people like alex honnold are very few and far between and they're insane for just climbing with no rope but uh the vast majority of climbers need climbing partners and so i was able to finally meet up with a, gr- a group similar it sounds like to your hiking group where you can kind of just meet up with people you don't really know and go climbing and then uh that's who i was actually out with this past weekend so it turned out into being some pretty good friends Oh yeah. And uh, last thing on the climbing, I see some pictures um, and you, you have your dog with you. How are you transporting your dog to the top of these uh, mountaintops with you? So she's kind of like a mountain goat. She's, she's very nimble and she's always loved hiking. And, uh, but there's certain trails she just can't do mm-hmm. uh, just because they're just not accessible at all two of the dogs so like we had to kind of pick and choose which spots we want to climb at based on their approach um especially in the new river gorge there's a lot of of cliffs that are only accessible by by going up and down ladders that have been built so you can access them and so like we could there's no way we could we could get a dog up there but it would be a giant ordeal and so um but there's something like 1900 climbs just in the New River Gorge in West Virginia. And so we just picked ones that we knew a dog could get to. And uh, she likes to hang out, just kind of 
gets tired from the hiking and then she'll sleep on uh, at the cliff all day and then hike back out with us. And, uh, and yesterday after it was kind of hot. So after we climbed, we, we swam in the new river and, uh, she jumped in with us. It was pretty funny because she's not, not a big swimmer, but I guess she was just so hot that she just jumped in. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I was always curious. I'm like, man, like, cause I, I'm like picturing you with like a, like a harness with, uh, uh, w- with your dog on your back and all these like, you know, different ways on how you got yeah. her up there. I've taken her backpacking with me a bunch of times though. And, uh, she does really well with it, but as she's getting a little older, I'm a little more worried about her getting hurt because she's 70 pounds. So if she were to get hurt, it'd be really difficult to get her out. So, uh, I I've kind of scaled back to backpacking because I don't want to be 10 miles into the wilderness and have an injured dog that I have to try to figure out what to do with. But uh, for at least for the climbing, the approaches aren't aren't terribly long, so she does well with them. And and if she were to get hurt, it would be more manageable to try to get her out. Uh, mm-hmm. But I mean, she's she's really strong. She's the Pitbull Dalmatian mix, and so tons of muscle and energy. So she kind of lives for going for long walks. So it kind of works out. Okay. Hell yeah. Well, that that's awesome that you're able to take her with you on those adventures. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it just occurred to me that the the whole reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is because we're here in the month of July uh, from within records is putting out the, the once in unity comp volume two and struck nerve is on there and it, it almost slipped my mind, but um, I have a pretty good memory. So I, I can't let you go without asking you about that. I, oh, uh, sure. you know, there's um, bands, uh, you know, who's putting out artwork, um, uh, you know, to promote their track on the comp. I've yet to see the struck nerve one. Is that coming soon? Uh, can, you, uh, can you talk I sure about hope it? So. <laughs> um, I, this will be a good reminder for me to text Anthony and uh, get him to actually do it. He's uh, Anthony's opening up a, a video game store in Pottstown. Oh, wow. So, That's awesome. Yeah. He runs a business where he sells like classic video games, like old Nintendo and mm-hmm. and uh, like Atari. And I don't even know. I, I'm not super. He he just has this insane collection of old video games. And uh, he's had an online store for a long time. But he's building an actual like not building, but he's got a storefront now in Pottstown that he's putting all the shelves and everything. So he's been really busy. Mm-hmm. So we are on the comp. We haven't put together our, uh, our little promo thing for it yet, but, um, I, I love from within records. Carter's one of my best friends. And when he did the first one, I was like, damn, that was awesome. I really hope we get to be on one of those because especially the first one, I, mean, I, I haven't heard the second one all the way through yet, but, uh, the first one, I liked every single song on it. And so, I, I was super excited about that when that came out because I feel like it had been a while since there was a comp that really encompassed everything that is hardcore because it had a little bit of everything. I think, mm-hmm. that, at least from my perspective, if you can't find at least one song on that comp that you like, then you just don't like hardcore. <laughs> so, Very true. Like, yeah, it's like, this isn't really, for you. something for everyone on that. Mm-hmm. And so I loved the idea of what he was doing. And, uh, he put together the second the second lineup and uh he didn't ask us to be on it and i was kind of bummed but uh then he had said that it was because we had just recorded our record 
and didn't think we'd have any other songs. But then a band, I guess someone someone had not worked out for the comp that was supposed to be on it. He's like, hey, I have a spot. Do you guys want to be on it? And I was just like, hell yeah. I had no song written or anything. He needed to have the song recorded and everything done by like, I think a month from when he asked me. Mm-hmm. So I immediately just started messing around on my guitar, trying to write a song and uh, practice with Joe a few times. And we were able to get it to work out. And then we recorded it, I think two days before it was due for the, uh, for the pressing. And, uh, and then Wyatt, who does the knife player in Philly, who recorded our LP and records pretty much every band around here at this point. He's amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I love working with him because like, I am terrible at music. <laughs> so like having him be able to be like, oh, this part maybe isn't working or like maybe do it a little bit like this. Uh, getting his input, I think, has, has helped me a lot. And also he's just good at recording music. Yeah. And I like hanging out with him. So it's kind of like I get to chill with my friend and he's recording me at the same time. So it kind of works out. But uh, yeah, so he recorded us and then when he was really busy and and was willing to mix and master it all in like a two day window and got it back to us just in time to uh, to get to Carter for the comp. And uh, I'm really excited about it. I, I, I'm really happy with how this, how the song turned out and I'm excited for people to hear it. And I think, I think it's like the 20, 24th, maybe it's, it's coming out. It's coming out this month. Yes. July 24th. 24th. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and the lineup of bands he has for this one, it's going to be another, another hit, I think. I, and I think From Within Records is one of the coolest labels going right now. And I really think that everybody should check out what he's got going on because every release he's put out so far, I think is worth listening to. Yes, we're uh, big supporters of From Within Records over here. A uh, huge fan of uh, Carter. He, he's been good to me. Uh, he'll he'll be on the podcast this month. Uh, you know, oh. so so but look forward to that. Uh, but Marty, this is this has been great. This has exceeded all my expectations. I, I'm happy that I was finally able to sit down and have a, a real conversation with you because I've uh, definitely seen you around over the years. Uh, but it's uh, just great to be able to sit down and just get to know you better and hear about uh, you know the things you've done and the things that you're um, going to do in the future. So th- this has been such a pleasure for me. Yeah, I really had a good time. Uh, this is my first time ever doing a podcast. So I was a little little skeptical of of being able to talk for a while and, and keep it interesting. So I, uh, I appreciate you asking me to be on it because it's a new experience for me. Hell yeah. And before we sign off, is there anything else you'd like to say or shout out? Um, I don't know. I guess just shout out Philly Straight Edge. Everyone go to the Unity Barbecue this weekend. Uh, this will probably come out after the weekend. <laughs> no, this is actually dropping tomorrow. Oh, it is? Okay. Tomorrow. Yes, come to the Unity Barbecue. It's worth traveling for. Yes, and uh, $2 before payback. So you can't, you can't beat that price for 19 bands. Yeah. And all the proceeds go to the Philly bully team. It's for a good cause. Great bands. Uh, yes, so absolutely. yeah. So if Andy, you can make it go. Yeah. Andy, Andy got uh, a vegan food truck to come, which I'm excited about mm-hmm. and some vegan ice cream as well. So everyone's going to have good food. Yeah. No, no pizza this time. No pizza. This time, <laughs> unless he does that too. I don't know. Okay. But, uh, I'm excited. 
And well, okay, yeah, Vlad Hardcore's back. If, if you know, um, will anybody be filming? Because I know there wasn't that much footage from the yeah, first one. Yeah, I believe one. I believe Sonny is filming the whole thing. Awesome, that's great because I'm um, I, I like the lore of um, not that much footage of the first one, but there's so many good bands that are playing that I want to see these sets. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Right? Yeah, there was very little footage of the first one, mm -hmm. uh, which partially I really like it because it's kind of forces everyone to just be in the moment while you're there. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a shared experience that we can all remember. But then at the same time, because it was all local bands and the entire scene came out, pretty much every band that played that got the best reaction they've ever gotten. And none of it's captured on video. <laughs> so uh, I'm hoping that carries through to this year. Everyone gets awesome reactions and, and this time It'll be on video for the world to see that the Philly area has awesome stuff going on with all the bands we have here. Well, all right, Marty. Thank you again. Like I said, this meant a lot to me. I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to do the podcast. Uh, thank you to everybody who tuned in. We appreciate all of you, and we'll be back soon. Yeah, look forward to meeting you at uh, Outlook Fair. All right. <laughs>